0: Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray you are blessed in the Lord. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad, as always, to be with you guys as we open God's word and we see what the Lord has to say to us. As you know, the purpose of this podcast is not to give you a sermon. I'm not saying that's bad, but this is not some soundbite stuff. We're not making pithy comments and, you know, that sort of thing and what my perspective is and things like that. We're looking at the Bible as we open it and go verse by verse, look at the text do proper hermeneutics, you know, as I study through the the book of Acts, spend on average several hours uh, per lesson studying upwards of 40 plus commentaries and trying to get a rich understanding of the text. But it's not just that, it's mainly entrusting ourselves uh, in the Lord And praying for the power of his Holy Spirit to illuminate us, to convict us, to direct us. And so as I prepare, and as we jump into podcast 129, looking at Acts chapter 16 today, and the title is The Resilient Faith of Paul, as always, my prayer for you, no matter where you're at in your stage of life, in your faith with the Lord, whatever you're doing right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you as you listen to his word that you'll be strengthened in the word of God. And as Hebrews five refers to it, that you would be a Christian who partakes of solid food. Because as you know, on stand strong in the word podcast, again, these aren't bite-sized stuff. This is, this is going deep into the scriptures. And that's why sometimes, you know, we'll go over an hour of just looking at the text. And, and I just pray that it's been a, a great ministry to, to you as I know it's been to me. It's been amazing to hear from people from Russia, from South America, from Belgium. Uh, we've had some people in the Middle East. We've had people all over this great country of ours in the United States of America. I had people from Canada, Hawaii recently. And so I just thank you guys for your faithful participation in this ministry, for your prayers, your friendship, your support. Just I oftentimes feel uh, the presence of the saints who are interceding as we get God's word out there. So if you listen to the podcast, I want to give you a quick little update. If you like Amazon Music, we're hoping very soon that you'll be able to get Stand Strong in the Word podcast on Amazon Music. As you know, uh, the music platform there with Amazon now are allowing podcasts. Um, There's a lot to choose from. And so we're there. Now, if you watch us and you don't listen to the podcast again, Flip over there and check us out. Whatever app you use, you can get the feed of our podcast on any platform with Android or with the iOS platform. And also, if you do listen but you never check us out on YouTube, I have a YouTube channel. So I'd love for you guys to search me, Jason P. for Philip Jimenez, or Stand Strong Ministries, Jason Jimenez, however you want to search me. And you can put it in there. My channel will come up. Subscribe to it. Share with your friends. Check out these other videos. We're going to be putting out more content um, I think COVID has really uh, challenged a lot of us um, who travel a lot and do a lot of writing to, to you know, put more content uh, that's readily available. And so uh, just look forward to more uh, videos that we're going to be putting out regularly, week by week, responding to theological issues, philosophical issues, apologetical issues. So here, obviously, in this podcast is about looking at God's word, but the YouTube channel where you can get this YouTube or excuse me, this podcast in the, the playlist Uh, There's also more information there. There's articles on our website. So again, take advantage of that. If you've listened, but you haven't checked out the notes, uh, that's just another tool that you can have available at standstrongministries.org. So with that being said, let's jump into podcast 129 here, Acts chapter 16. And as we get started, I want to show you guys, if if you're just listening, I'm showing a video of Paul's second missionary journey. Because if you remember where we left off in the previous podcast, after verse 36 of chapter 15, Paul is now starting his second missionary journey. So it was about a year to year and a half-ish, if you will, where Paul had already f- completed his first missionary journey, but then he launches his second missionary journey. He takes Timothy, Silas, and then he's going to group with Luke. So roughly about you know, 80, 50, Paul will take Silas with him to Tarsus, Derbe, Lystra, where they will meet Timothy. And then the team, what they'll do is they'll deliver the Jerusalem council's decision that we saw in Acts chapter 15 to all the churches in Galatia, uh, which is Iconium and Phrygia, which is uh, Antioch. And then after traveling from the region of Messiah to Troas, he's going to be united with Luke, uh, with the team, and that's how they're going to meet up. So I show you this because, again, if if you're just listening, check it out online where you can see this extensive travel that Paul had in the second missionary journey. And this is going to be from Acts 15, 36 to chapter 18, verse 22. So it's a very extensive travel that Paul is going to put in here. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Paul's second missionary journey. So with that, let's now jump to verses one through five here in chapter 16, And this section here is that Timothy is going to join the missionary team with Paul. It says here in verse 1, Paul came also to Derb, which is the Galatian border town, and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well-spoken, meaning he witnessed of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, and as they went on their way through the cities, they, they delivered to them for observance the decisions, that literally means the decrees that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, again referring back to Jerusalem, um, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. So the churches were strengthened, that literally means in the Greek, to be firm, to be solid, to be unchanging in the faith, and they were increased in numbers daily. So there are a lot of things that you and I can see here right off the bat. It seems um, what's important about what we're seeing in the second missionary journey of Paul, that there's a Jewish influence in Lystra, and it was weak for several reasons, and I believe this is one of the reasons why Paul Um, puts this on the map to go to. Number one, you see that Timothy's mother Eunice is a Jew and she married a Greek, okay, which is not common. Number two, Jewish law states the children inherit the mother's religion, which started to happen a little bit later in history. And yet, of course, Timothy wasn't circumcised because in a Greek home, the father's religion dominates. So that explains a smaller population in Lystra. And I believe that Paul is going to do a great work, even in this small population of Jewish people. Now, notice it says, according to Luke, that Timothy was well-spoken of. So, he had a strong reputation in his community and would become one of Paul's most trusted companions. Think about that. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Philippians 2, 19-22, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, these verses, when you look at the, later, the letters that Paul will, will write, these letters describe at many times the people that Paul encountered. And that's always refreshing to me because even in my travels, uh, doing the work that God has called me to do and training up churches and speaking truth to the next generation, I encounter a lot of people, people of different backgrounds, people of even sometimes of different faiths. And it's refreshing, especially when there's camaraderie, especially when you're co-laborers together and you're doing ministry together. You know, there have been in, in, in travels of mine where you meet somebody for the first time, you may have heard about this person and then you just hit it off. And it's a beautiful thing. And so every time I see Paul talking about these trusted companions and seeing Year after year, journey after journey, imprisonment after imprisonment, persecution after persecution. Guess what? Timothy, Silas, Epaphroditus, Luke, they're all there. They're there ministering alongside their faithful, devoted friend. What a beautiful thing. You know, Paul describes Timothy's upbringings in two key passages. And this is important because this is something he wanted us to know about timothy in 2 timothy chapter 1 verse 5 paul writes this i am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother lois and your mother eunice and now i am sure dwells in you as well second timothy 3:15 and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures the writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus So these are amazing uh, verses that we see described about Timothy. Now, it says here in verse three that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul had Timothy circumcised for a number of important reasons. A lot of times people think this is a contradiction because the council just talked about this with the issues that they were faced with in in, in the early church. But let me explain why this was the case. First, it would deflect attacks from the Jews. So this was strategic, had nothing to do with, you know, you know, uh, soteriology or anything like that. Second, Paul continued living as an observant Jew, observant Jew to many of the social structures of his people. First Corinthians seven seventeen through 24. We can't downplay that or underestimate or diminish the fact that Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Jewish man. So a lot of these customs, they practiced, they lived out, just like if you come from a rich ethnic background, particularly like the Jews, that in no way, shape, or form, when they are observing uh, practices that are customary, he was not doing them to be saved by these works. He was doing them because he himself was a Jew by blood. So third, Timothy's mother was a Jew, as we mentioned. And so it was important at this point of his life to recognize that had nothing again to do with whether or not he was saved. Fourth, it was out of respect to his Jewish upbringing. As I mentioned, five, Timothy's father probably passed away at some point, um, freeing Timothy to fully recognize his Jewishness along with his mother and his grandmother. So Timothy's circumcision, not of salvation, is different from Titus's situation for salvation that we'll touch on in Galatians 2, 3 down the road. Um, So that explains why Timothy was circumcised. And then it says, as they traveled around delivering the decrees, Paul and Timothy continued to spread the decision of the Jerusalem council. Again, going back to chapter 15, 23 through 29. And it brings great joy to the people because the decrees that came from the elders, the leaders of the church were not burdensome. They were showing that through Christ and through this leadership in the very early inception of the church understood the grace of Jesus Christ. And so it was uplifting to the people. When you consider the type of oppression religiously, they had been facing with the Sanhedrin. And so the churches, the Luke tells us they were strengthened, meaning they were firm and they were unchanging in their faith. And it continued to grow. So once again, uh, we see these positive progress reports that, we, we hear about from Luke throughout the book of Acts. Now, the, the IVP New Testament commentary series writes this, quote, the plan of the second missionary journey is to follow up, nurture, then further outreach. Paul is not one to dip and drop his converts. He suggests to Barnabas that they visit, that literally means denoting caring oversight to the brothers and sisters in the churches that they have planted And this was always a practice of Paul's throughout the ministry. We see that in chapter 14, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20. And as you and I know from the previous podcast, Barnabas is not with Paul because they had a disagreement and he took John Mark. But the amazing thing is, and we know they later reconciled and John Mark becomes a very close companion to Paul. But this gave opportunity for Paul to use people like Silas, Timothy, and Luke more than Barnabas. And sometimes that's okay. All right. It's, it's you know, it wasn't obviously pleasant because as I looked in the Greek and we, we saw and we talked about how intense the opposition that they had for one another, um, but they later reconciled, but God still used it for good. And so this is what they're doing right now. So then we see now in verse 6 through 10 here, Paul launches his second missionary journey with these new companions. And they went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been forbidden, that means to cause not to happen, to hinder, to withstand by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, uh, they attempted, that means they, they put to the test to go into Bethanea. But the spirit of Jesus, interesting phrase, notice did not allow, did not permit them to go there. Verse eight, so passing by Messiah, which is the Northwest region of Asia Minor, they went down to Troas, which is the main harbor to Macedonia. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he he uh, we sought to go into Macedonia, the northern Greece that includes Philippi and Thessalonica, by the way, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it seems Paul wanted to continue to follow the Via, uh, Sebasti, um, you know, way. That's the main, you know, thoroughfare um, in that time to Ephesus. Um, Yet the Holy Spirit, we're told here, the spirit of Jesus had forbidden it. So it's difficult to understand uh, Paul and his companions, though, um, because we don't know exactly why, but they were just sensitive. And I think that's the main point here. We don't know exactly why they're forbidden to go, but the fact that they were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit is so important. I believe that myself included have gotten ourselves in trouble When we don't heed the Holy Spirit because we always tell ourselves, but this is for the Lord. And you're thinking, if the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to do it, then it's not of the Lord. Plain and simple. And you see the sensitivity. I love what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 16, 7 through 9. He says, for I do not want to see you not just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has has opened. So he talks about this wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So at this point in time in the second missionary journey, Paul would later mention this, when I want to be with you, there's no question, that's not a bad thing, but God has revealed a more effective, effective work and but notice with this effective work he says in scripture come many adversaries you know that right there itself is very insightful because i think oftentimes when we see opposition we think oh god certainly doesn't want me to do that but that's not what we see in scripture this phrase spirit of jesus Luke's phraseology of this term Spirit, capital S, points to the early church's development, I believe, of the Trinitarian faith that you later see, Romans 8, 9, Galatians 4, 6. And that's why he uses that type of phrase. So after refusing Paul to go here in verse 8 into Bethanea, God sends him to the exact port that notice will take him to Macedonia. Now, this northern Greece area that includes Philippi and Thessalonica, who in fact is this person that has this vision? Because God reveals to Paul that he had other plans for him and he gives him this insight by giving him a vision to go to Macedonia. Now, some scholars speculate this could be Luke. And so he later mentions himself, as we just read, that we went because he was a part of this um, because he you know, joins Paul in the secondary, second missionary journey. I'm not sure, but what we do see here is when he says we sought to go, again, uh, Luke uses three we sections to describe his accompanying of Paul. And nevertheless, I do think that this vision of a person crying out saying, come help us in Macedonia was probably someone other than Luke. And so now we see here in verse 11 through 15 where Paul leads uh, Lydia to Christ. Now he starts getting to specific Individuals who are being ministered to by Paul as he continues to travel, and so verse eleven says, "So setting sail for Troas, we again Paul, Luke, Timothy, and I believe a few other people made a direct voyage to Samothras. This was the island on the Aegean Sea, and the following day to Neapolis, which is the port city of Philippi, and from there to Philippi. Which, by the way, Philippi was named after the father of Alexander the Great." which is a leading city, which was very famous, very significant place. So again, this is important because in our day and age, a lot of us don't know these regions. So when we're reading off these names, we're like, we kind of lose sight as to why Paul's going there. But this was a very significant area of the district notice of Macedonia, and uh, and it was also a Roman colony that was developed in 42 B.C., and Luke writes here, we, re, we remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, possibly this is the Gangites or the Crenites uh, River, I'm not sure, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, which is another indication where there's not a lot of Jews here. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, verse 15, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's an interesting phrase. So here, what's amazing about this area is that the Holy Spirit directed them there and we're seeing why, because it's almost, it's almost like the, the message that we get when John talked about the Samaritan woman where Jesus went out of his way and the disciples had no clue what was going on. And here, Paul and them have no clue what's going on, but God wants them to go minister to this woman, Lydia. That's how significant this person was in, what she, in, in the work she was going to do after she comes to Christ because of the work of Paul. So the Holy Spirit sends Paul to Philippi. It's a strategic location that's going to bear a lot of fruit. Now the NIV cultural background study Bible writes this about Philippi quote, it was prosperous and its location was strategic as, at the, at the Eastern end of the major via Ignatia, which is an overland route to the Eastern coast of the Adriatic um, area that would connect to um italy by sea so this is a very important area that god has paul go to and the minimum requirement though um, when you see that they were trying to look for a synagogue or just trying to look for a jewish uh, group the reason being is because the minimum requirement for a synagogue was 10 jewish men yet luke only mentions women that had gathered for prayer and i believe this again points out just like the area where Timothy comes from has a small population of Jewish people here in Philippi. They don't have a synagogue because they don't have at least 10 men to create a synagogue. So it's interesting that the team of Paul, you know, they're kind of, they wake up on the Sabbath and they're going to go engage some Jewish people and they're just hoping at some point they're going to run into some Jews and they run into Jewish women. Now, Lydia, like Cornelius in chapter 10, verse 2, we are told here who's a worshiper of God, she's a believer in the Jewish scriptures. And she becomes Paul's first convert here in Philippi. Now, her responsibility there was a seller of purple goods. So Thyatira was famous for the purple dyes that came from a certain shellfish. So this was such a huge process and it was for very wealthy people. So Lydia was, was a very wealthy Jewish woman. And it says that the Lord opened her heart. I love that phrase. It says the Lord opened her heart. Because ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit, my friends, who moves on the hearts of men and women. It's the Holy Spirit who draws you and I to repentance. John tells us in chapter 6, verse 65, No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. That is the truth of God's word. And we see here that, remember, they had, no, they had no aspirations to be in this region. And yet, look at what God is doing. And so after she was baptized, we're told, in her household, she urges them, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So after coming to Christ, Lydia's family and her servants, they believed as well. So that's the other significant thing about this. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever participated in this, but you share the gospel with one person and then it leads to the gospel, the sharing of the gospel and conversions of people within that, that family. I don't know if you've ever experienced that I've have, I have in in ministry and it's a beautiful thing. You lead one person to the Lord And then they bring their spouse or they bring their kids or you bring a a child to Christ and they go reach out to their parents. And then before you know it, you have your parents, that kid's parents in front of you. And then you lead them to Christ. That's what's happening here. Households are coming to Christ. So this phrase prevailed on us. Lydia had means and just means that she insisted that she would take care of Paul and his companions as guests to show that kind of hospitality. And this is probably where they got fed. They probably got some financial support. She probably gave them insight about things in the city to prepare them for their long journey. As you and I know, it was very extensive in a second missionary journey. Now, the Expositors Bible Commentary writes this in the New Testament, from such small beginnings, the church at Philippi began to judge from his letters to the Philippians. It was one of Paul's most loved congregations. Luke, as suggested above, was probably involved in the establishment and the growth of this church. And soon, it, it seems, Lydia's home became the center for Christian outreach and worship in Philippi, end quote. So this became a pivotal point. So later when he writes Philippians, you see this, this love that the church had for Paul and Paul had for them because this is where it started. This is where it started. And now we see the fourth aspect, Paul casts out a demon in verses 16 through 24. So as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met, noticed by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Literally, this means python. So this was a, a spirit that they worshiped in this region and brought her owners much gained by fortune telling. She followed Paul in us crying out, meaning shrieking, croaking, causing a ruckus. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, that literally means in Greek, strongly irked, he was aggravated, Turned and said to the spirit, I command, meaning I give you an order in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are, not, that are unlawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them... They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Wow. So here you have the care of Lydia, um, who they bring her to the Lord, and she takes care of them, to now all of a sudden, you're now encountering demonic warfare. So the possession of the slave girl, as I mentioned, the python spirit, It's actually linked to the Oracle of Delphi. And this was a sanctuary that was dedicated to the God of Apollo. And this is where a lot of the fortune telling came from a lot of these people. And I do believe, by the way, just in context here, the spirits that dominate, that are controlling regions, they have information on us. And they'll convey that information uh, to someone who is submitting to their power. Now, it's not divine power like God has, obviously, through, through his angels as well, but they're able to be cunning, they're able to advance an agenda, just like if you, you know, write a book, or you have a podcast, or you're a professor, and um, you study up on things, and people there to learn from you, and you're disseminating some information, you begin to indoctrinate, if you will a group of people who then begin to believe what you are saying is true. And they start sharing that with other people. That's what this is, 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 is happening here with the fortune telling. So they have a system that they're controlling and dominating in this area. And it's all linked to the, to, to the sanctuary um, of the Oracle of Delphi. So again, you know, a small population of Jews, but God is using Paul and his companions to reach the Jewish community, though small, and they'll continue to expand the early church to lead people to Christ. But now you're encountering people who are demon possessed. They're demonized. So, this demon uses paganistic terminology, if you notice, familiar to the crowd by saying these men are servants of the Most High God. Yet it's conveying also at the same time the truth about God. And notice and says, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. So, in a sense, what they're just, the, the people are, are hearing this thinking they're telling you about a way. A spiritual way, not sure if it's in fact true. But in actuality, the term Most High God, of course, is not applicable to a deity, but only to God Himself, because in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, it's actually a description, it's actually a title given for God. And so here you already see almost again this surrendering to the ultimate power, and that is God. And so, of course, this continues to go on with this servant who is demonized to where Paul finally, he turns to this girl. So earlier on, remember, Paul uh, may have felt um, that she was maybe not a threat because it doesn't say anything. But at this point in time, um, as, the, as I believe the crowds are growing and the screeching of this demon child continues to, prog- to, to progress, He then commands the demon to leave her body. Notice he says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus gave his disciples. This is important. And matter of fact, this is a phrase that oftentimes people use in a form of exorcism to cast out a demon. In the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, the servant girl was saying, these are servants of the Most High God. Now, of course, again, this was a paganistic terminology, but it's only applicable to God. But Paul takes it a step further by referring that the most high God is Jesus Christ himself. And so in his name, because when he said, when he gathered his disciples on the Mount of Olives, before he ascended, he says, you know, I have all authority. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So I declare to you, go and make disciples. Jesus gave his disciples the power to cast out demons. Go back to Luke chapter nine, verse one. So here Paul's claiming the authority of Jesus over this girl, over the oracle of Delphi, over the God of Apollo. It doesn't matter. You you put any God in the context, they do not have authority over the God of most high, Jesus himself. This girl was enslaved. She was imbu- abused by the demon, being used by the people as a fortune teller to gain money. And revealing now here that Paul has the power because of Jesus. He has a higher power. Now in that culture, that was a big deal. Just like when you go back to the times of Elijah to prove whose God is mightier. And if my God can beat your God, then I'm more powerful you were to listen to me. But when the owners were told in verse 19, they saw what had happened, that they, gained, that they lost this prophet. They're going to lose this prophet because her powers, if you will, are gone. They seize them. So Timothy and Luke were not seized because they were not the leaders of the group. Nor do I believe they looked um, Jewish. They look more Greek, right? So they grab the ones like Paul and Silas, who are Jewish and who seem to be more like the leaders. So Satan, nor fallen demons, again, I want to mention this before I move forward, they don't know future events. Only God knows the future. So it seems that the demon had only detailed information, as I mentioned about the people of Philippi, and was feeding this information to the owners, giving them the advance of, uh, with, with, with certain in, in intelligence and, and information. And this is important because when it says that they lost, the hope of gain was gone, their hope of gain was gone, that, that, that the demon was not able to feed this kind of information to this child. So that's, that just shows you the power of God eliminating the ability for these demons to put it into the work that Paul was doing. So then what's the next step that, that Paul, or excuse me, that Satan does? Persecution. rouse up these people to commit violent acts. And remember, Philippi had its own independent government. It had its own independent magistrate. And we see here in verse twenty and twenty one that the first charge against Paul and Silas the fact that they were Jews. So here, right here, you, my my friends, we see anti-Semitism, which was very common in the Greco Roman era. And we see it on display here. Remember, Emperor uh, Claudius forced out many Jews from Rome around this time. So this is important put in context. So they were already having a lot of Jews who were a part of the diaspora that they were being pushed out. And so they don't like Jews. here. This independent magistrate, they want to try them the second charge, disturbing the peace, um, which received harsh punishment. The third charge here, they were attempting to apparently overturn Philippi's customs. And of course that was seen as a direct threat of their way of life. And so the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now remember, Paul would later mention this beating in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 25. And recall the way he was treated in Philippi. Remember, he wrote these very words in First Thessalonians 2, verse 2. We had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction, much conflict. And then we're told here they threw them in prison. So these conditions uh, being in this type of dungeon-like inner prison, uh, Luke refers to being fastened with their feet and the stocks were very unsanitary. And with these violent wounds, these blows to their body, their bodies were probably obviously extremely infected with disease or infections, I should say. And, and of course, just moving was painful for them. So it was probably very difficult for them to rest as they were trying to heal. Um, and they had a lot of malnutrition. They weren't feeding them. And I oftentimes wonder, my friends, we hear, okay, they got beat up and thrown in prison. But you think about the condition they were in. And if you've ever, you know, been hit hard or something like that, or been knocked unconscious, maybe accidentally, or maybe you've been in a fight and you got beat up pretty bad. I mean, it's not fun, obviously, but could you imagine a mob of people beating you and you have these open wounds and you're thrown into an inner shackle? and your feet were, are fastened to the wall and it's cold and they're not feeding you and you're bleeding and you have nothing to clean your wounds with. So it's amazing where you go from the hospitality of Lydia to being all of a sudden in prison. I mean, we would take serving the Lord all day long to minister to someone like Lydia who's so grateful and gracious and wealthy and wants to care for you and think, man, I can, I can build a church here. Versus, no, you go out there in the city to do more work and you're going to encounter hostility. And that just shows you the faithfulness of Paul and his companions. Notice now the fifth aspect here in chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. It says, but midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening with pleasure to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. It says, immediately all the doors were opened. And and so um, everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. I just, so sorry, if you're watching the video, I'd, I'd clicked on the wrong thing there. And it says in verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So there's, there's just... When, when, I, when I'm reminded of this incident with this jailer, it's amazing. It strikes me what Paul did here. It really does. I mean, even as I'm just kind of reading through it, it really almost, I mean, it does. It brings me to tears. I mean, sometimes when we read scripture, you know, we're just emotionally so removed sometimes with the actual characters, the people that God encounters uh, through his people like Paul here. And I just can't help but think every time, my friends, as I read this. I mean, how do you feel to, to know the circumstances? You're in a place you weren't expecting to be. You lead people to faith like Lydia and her household. Things seem to be great. You go out there in the city. Before you know it, you're beaten and you're thrown to prison. But that same night, Paul and Silas, they're praying. They're singing. And the prisoners are listening with pleasure. So despite their severe pain from the beatings and the undesirable conditions in prison, Paul and Silas, they pray and they worship God. Remember, Paul would later tell the Philippians, and I love this because if you look at the backstory, he says in Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. What was he doing here? He was rejoicing. Psalm 42 verse 8, Psalm 119, 61 through 62, this is what you're to do. I love Psalm 119, and I do actually believe knowing Paul's extensiveness of of Scripture, his knowledge of it, and the memorization of it, is probably reciting these two Psalms. Because Psalm 42, verse 8, says that at night, his song is with me, a prayer to God of of my life. Psalm 119 says, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. So you can imagine Paul and Silas saying, hey, this is what scripture tells us to do. Let's do this. Let's be obedient to the word of God. And God hears their prayers and he sends an earthquake to free Paul and Silas from prison. Now, according to Roman law, if a prisoner escaped under a soldier's watch, the soldier would face the same penalty of the prisoner. So falling on one sword, of course, this is what the soldier is going to do, was a noble act for a Roman to do. But again, this is so amazing because Paul demonstrates his love for this soldier. Who knows what this soldier, maybe the soldier was part of the beating or ridiculing him or whatever the case may be. But Paul demonstrates his love for the soldier and calls him out, calls him out, and says, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. We are still here. We have not run away. And then it says the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fury, fell down before Paul and Silas and notices, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And, I, and that's the other thing that just really struck me as I read that was just thinking, when was the last time somebody in your life saw just the way that you lived and came to you and says, I need to know what, what, what's so special about you? What's so different about you? How are you able to withstand what is going on in this world? How can you have such peace? How can you be so resilient? How can you be so fervor? How can you be so hopeful? I was just doing an interview recently, and the guy says, Jay, how can Christians have certainty in uncertain times? And I flat says, Jesus. It's Jesus. So, undoubtedly, the soldier knew about the exorcism of the slave girl, heard Paul preach the gospel, witnessed how Paul and Silas handled their beatings with humility. And so now he was so shaken up that he was about to commit suicide. This earthquake happens. And Paul says, Hey, we're still here. So, what does he do? I need to get saved is amazing? And that's what happens, my friends. Sometimes circumstances like this causes people to want to get saved. And we see that the guard's testimony grows and it leads again. Another family comes to saving faith in Christ. So this Roman guard went from despair to finding new life in Jesus Christ. And then what happens here in verses uh, 35 through 40, but when the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid, meaning in a state of fear, they were so frightened when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized. It literally means they earnestly asked with proprietaryness, like, you know, like, hey, we're so sorry. I mean, but you got to get out of here because we don't want any problems anymore. And so they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went on, um, they went out of the prison and they visited uh, Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. So here we see that the magistrates, they wanted to try to teach Paul and Silas a lesson not to disturb their way of life. Keep your Jewishness practices and this, whatever deity God of yours, you're casting out demons. This is our way of life. They wanted to teach him a lesson. Yet Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen, and he gives this argument. This was unlawful. You unlawfully attained and beaten us without appeal to Rome, and that's clearly the law. This was a very serious offense, and he says, let them come themselves. So it sounds like that Paul, it sounds like he's being extremely rude or difficult in giving this demand, but you and I have to consider again what had just happened. He underwent a severe beating that was unjust. It brought great shame publicly to Paul and Silas could jeopardize their uh, status as, as, as honorable men. So it was necessary for them to recover their honor and receive vindication in order for them to continue. So that's why this is important. The New King James Version Study Bible says, quote, Paul refused to leave when he had the opportunity because he was protecting the infant church in Philippi. Because Paul and Silas were beaten in public, people probably believed that they had done something wrong. If Paul left quietly, then the perception would be that those associated with him, in particular the members of the Philippian church, had also done something wrong. So that's very insightful because it shows that, again, Paul's not playing politics, but he's very knowledgeable of the law on the greek side jewish side and roman side and he is so concerned about this early church in lydia and the crew and he wanted to make sure that when he leaves that he covered his basis so that they're not um brought down because of his bad reputation if you will according to the magistrates so the magistrate people they beg for forgiveness because they knew that their political futures and possibly even the fate of Philippi. Remember, they, an ind- they had an independent magistrate here. And it was all now in the hands of Paul and Silas. So you know how God flipped that, brought humility to them. So instead of leaving Philippi immediately, though, when they finally released them, what does Paul and Silas do? Well, they, in order for them to, re- to remain um, uh, in high honor, they went back to the infant church. They went back to Lydia and to her house and they probably received again good food, good fellowship, good worship time, uh, taking the Lord's Supper and and their wounds being bandaged and healed and also probably working out some of these details with the magistrates to make sure that they're going to be taken care of and that they themselves, when Paul and his crew leave, that they're not going to go invade the home of Lydia and, and beat and kill them or throw them in prison. And then afterwards, of course, they departed. Now, Luke doesn't mention, um, you know, that he left with Paul and Silas. He doesn't say anything. It's, it's more than likely, and as I've researched this, it seems that Luke remains in Philippi, which is another indication of Paul caring so much about Lydia and this infant church, that he leaves Luke behind uh, because Later, it's mentioned a few few years later, Luke, in in chapter 20, verse 5 through 6, he's still living in Philippi. So this becomes a place of ministry for Luke, and that's very significant. So that, in a nutshell, my friends, is Acts chapter 16. And so one of the big things that we see with the resiliency of Paul is despite what happens, you may be thinking about something that God is calling you to do, But as you're praying, be sensitive to Holy spirit, because boom, just like we saw Paul, he had plans to go somewhere and he was totally engaged to go there, but God called him to go somewhere else. And you can think that when God calls you to go do something, and then you have a situation arise or somebody steps up in your life and is a pain in the neck, we immediately think, oh my gosh, this, you know, Lord, this is not what you want for me. I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. There's no complaining. On Paul's side, it's almost like he's not human, like he's like the superpowers of Paul. But the reality is, we know that he was a human, that he did struggle, that he did complain, that he did things that he ought not to do in Romans 7. But to see the worship between Paul and Silas in prison, and to see a jailer in the worst of circumstances, because you could even consider, I wasn't even planning on being here at Philippi, and then I land up in prison. This is not going well at all, Lord. What are you up to so that you're not even considering in these bad circumstances because all you're caring about is getting better. And yet God says, here's an opportunity for you to lead someone to the Lord. And by the way, this person who's going to come to faith, who's a Roman soldier, his family's going to get saved and get baptized. So that's what God does, my friends. So we, like Paul, need to have that type of resiliency. We need to continue to push forward and not to give up. So I pray that this was something that convicts you, that inspires you, and that you are to look around and whatever your circumstances are, they they may not be exactly what you want them to be, but like Paul, praise and worship God in the midst of it and you will see God move. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.